Welcome to the Optimal Mindset Podcast. My name is Johnny Taylor and I'm a PE teacher and a coach with a passion for all things related to mindfulness, breathwork and sports science. In these episodes we'll be chatting with some of my personal idols and experts in the field of sports and performance. I hope to uncover stories about their journey, optimizing routines and the mindset they use to achieve their goals. Remember, train your mind, optimize your life. Welcome to episode six of the Optimal Mindset. I'm here today oh, with that's my number. Jojo. That's my number. Uh, I'm here with, uh, with Jojo, Jojo Lastimosa. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So uh, Jojo is a former Filipino national basketball player in the 1980s and 90s and a PBA superstar for Alaska. Um, after retiring, he's uh, moved on to coaching, and he recently won a PBA title as first time of asking with TNT Tropengiga, which is an amazing achievement. I really cannot wait to dive into his success, um, to have such a champion on the podcast, and to hear about his journey. So I'd like to start with a bit of background. Obviously, you've had an amazing career as a, as a basketball player, and, and now you're a, a head coach. Could you kind of give us a summary of, of your journey from the, the start to, to where you are now? Um, how much time do you have? Uh, as, long as, <laughs> as long as you want. It, you want it. <laughs> oh, let, let me see. Let me see. Um, I started playing when I was when I was a young boy, maybe around eight, seven years old. Um, just being a fan because my my uncle, my my father's brother, they were the the superstars of of our. You call it um, barrio. Uh, so it's a small small village uh, back in Mindanao, and. You know, growing up in the in the seventies, you know, late seventies, um, early seventies, there's not much entertainment back there. So it's either you watch a basketball game during the summer, or there's no TV, there's no um, radio. It's just you know you make up your own games, and it so happened that basketball was was um, the favorite sport of 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 our place during that time. So I ended up just watching my my elder brother, my uncle. And our town used to play against other other towns or neighboring um, towns around us. And I tag along with them. I, I cheer for them. So I think it's just a natural progression for me to eventually end up um, being a basketball player because I, I love watching them. And so I started playing with my friends, you know, one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three. And mind you, this is all dirt, um, Johnny. We all played in dirt. Okay, and I was on my flip flops. Okay, and my mom used to scream at me all the time because I, I end up destroying my my rubber flip flops before, and I it's not um I think I didn't have any basketball shoes growing up. <laughs> okay, so this this is all uh, provincial life, and um, you do whatever you you have, you know, to to get around, and. At the beginning, I was just playing with my my slippers on, okay. And then maybe when when I eventually progressed into a a league, a five and five league, when I was nine or ten years old, I remember I was playing with with basketball shoes already, the Chuck Taylor, you know, Converse. So I think that was the preferred basketball shoes back in the day, and that was the beginning. And then uh, every summer I play all over the place in high school. I got into the varsity and when I was in third year, 
I was trying to decide whether to be a football player or a basketball player. So I was really into soccer. Okay, I was really into soccer, and then I decided, nah, I'm gonna ditch um, soccer and I'll, I'll focus on on basketball. So I made the uh, the varsity team, varsity team, and when I was in third year, and of course fourth year, and then some some um, some some recruiters, okay, uh, was able to to see me play in in third year high school and and told me um, that I would be. I have a chance to play college basketball in, in, in Manila. That was Ateneo. In fact, that guy, <clears throat> he, he was a Jesuit, Jesuit priest. So I, I started high school in Ateneo de Cagayan de Oro. So Savior. And we're all sister schools, you know, from Ateneo. And um, we had a, a tournament uh, inter Ateneo, Ateneo de Manila, Ateneo de Cagayan. I think there was a Naga and then there's some Wanga. It was there that he saw my potential when I was in third year. Um, he passed on. He passed away last, maybe four or five years ago. His name was uh, Father Holcher, or Raymond Holcher. Um, so he said, "Hey, Joe, um, I think you have a chance to be, to be, to play in uh, college." And I was in third year, and I was 15 years old. And 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 I said to him, "Really." <laughs> I, I was I was the biggest dude in in high school. I was six, maybe close to six feet, just like my height right now. And I played all positions. I rebounded. I, I shot mostly just drives to the basket. I was I was kind of athletic when I was when I was young. And I don't know what what he saw in me that um, that made him think that I could be a potential college player. Do you think? Do you think? Sorry to butt in. Do you think if he hadn't have said that, do you think you'd be where you are today, or do you think if he hadn't have given you that confidence? Um, oh, that was my. That just that was my 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 only chance to to get to Manila, and there was no other re- recruiter that that talked to me other than him. Now the recruitment in the Philippines is just so um, all over the place. Everybody's recruiting everybody here. There's a lot of biddings to to uh, potential players in high school, and they're even getting the um, the players at a very young age, 10, 12 years old. But back in the day, he was the only he was the only person who recruited me. So can you imagine answering your question? I think my trajectory would have been different if if not for him. Yeah, so that started all. So I went, I went to Ateneo. I was 16 years old, played in the UAAP. I was 16. And I wanted to go home because I didn't like, I was on my own for the first time. You know, I, I was getting homesick and the school was hard. Um, I was getting hungry, hungry most of the time. I didn't get my allowance on time from my parents, things like that. And I endured it. I um, I endured it in, um, up to my second year, to my second UAP season. And I actually made the, the 18, 18 and under national team. Um, when I was there in Ateneo, so I was, I was, I played well. I was, um, for some reason, um, my game, uh, my game improved when I was there, probably due to some really good coaching. Um, in in the province in Cagandia, there's not a lot of coaching back then. You're on your own. Uh, you you develop your game through the playground, playing against each other. Nobody will teach you what kind of move, what kind of dribble you you want to do. Nothing. No, nobody's gonna teach you how to to shoot properly it's just like 
watching the older guys do it and try to copy it. So that's just the way it is. So in Manila, everything was just like um, back to back to basics, teaching you how to dribble, how to make a layup, different kinds of layups, and it was it was really strange for me to be honest with you. And first couple of weeks of practice, I wanted to go home because I said, um, basing on what I see for myself, I was having a hard time catching up with the drills, and. I, I I told myself like I'm I don't know how to play anymore, so <laughs> I was telling myself that. So I had I had no confidence in myself. Um, for some reason I I pressed on, I endured, and before you know it, I was <laughs> I got really better the moment I I knew how to do things, and maybe it was I really wanted to improve, or maybe it's just because. I had so much in me. I'm. I was probably a glass with no with no water inside, and I have to fill myself in to get better. And and I think with with the coaching there, I think that made me a better player. <clears throat> Thank God I I was able to to press on and endure it. So that was the story. And then I got kicked out. You know, I didn't make the grades, and I had an option to to transfer to another school, but I did not. I went to Cebu because my brother was there playing varsity ball and playing commercial ball in Cebu. So I I um I stopped for a while for for about a sem and just enjoy the the province life of Cagayan de Oro, just hanging out with my friends, playing playing in in tournaments, you know, pickup games. Then went to Cebu and man, I'm telling you, when I was in Cebu. Um, that was, I think that was a game changer for me um, because I developed some sense of, of style already. I was already dunking at an, at an age of maybe 18. I was, I, um, I was becoming to be a player and they already knew me from, from the write-ups in, in Manila. So um, I was playing for a commercial team at a young age. Uh, with my brother, and I was playing at the same time for a school. It was allowed back then that you can have a commercial team and you can have a a um, college team. <clears throat> so can you imagine? I was doing two practices a day, every day for two, three years. And in the commercial team, I had a lot of veterans um, around me. I, I couldn't get any playing time because those guys have been, they've been established uh, players in Cebu, some played for the national team. They've been to Manila and went back to Cebu. So I was just there kind of like learning from them. And um, But when I was playing for my college team, um, I was one of the best players. And in fact, um, I won I won my first MVP when I was in college in, in Cebu. And I remember one time, so I we had this national tournament like we it's big time it's a national national intercollegiate just like the NCA in the states like we were in the we were in the finals and um, it was uh, held in Cagayan de Oro the finals and we went up against the, the champions of Manila you know Manila teams they always have that reputation of of being the best team in the country and we were just you know a team from from Cebu you know nobody recruited us things like that so. There's a lot of side story about about um, a Cebuano team playing against a a college champion team from Manila. And uh, to cut long story short, 
we won that championship, the National Intercollegiate. He won the championship, and I won MVP. Okay, and um, that kind of established me because I went up against the national team players of of those college teams that we went up against. And in fact, I played against one of my eventually my best buddies there on the other on on the other side. The name the name of the school was uh, Letran, Letran Knights, <clears throat> and um, so I went back to Cebu, you know. And went back to practice to the to the to my commercial team. And hey, congrats! Hey, good job! Congratulations! You won the MVP. I remember up to this day. I still remember my coach. My coach. He's still um, God bless him. He's still he's still alive. He's he's kind of old now, but he's still um, alive. I think he told me the first thing he told me in practice. Zol, uh, Jolas uh, Jojo or something. He said. I know you won the MVP. Don't ever get that into your head. Don't ever get that into your head. And and like for me, I was shocked. Like, why would that ever get into my head? You know, um, I don't know if I was just being naive, but that was the first thing that came to his mind because winning the MVP, you, you're big time, you know, you might think differently now. But for me, nothing's nothing changed, you know. I'm still the same guy that you're at the end of the bench for this <laughs> for this commercial team. And um so um he ended up, you know, Johnny, he ended up, you know, began to to um to give me playing time. So we were doing some games against other teams, commercial teams. He started to give me playing time because if he doesn't use me, you know, play will say, Why aren't you using this guy? He just won MVP, he must be doing something really good. And he's probably better than the rest of those cats there in the team. So I um, I started getting playing time. I was playing well. Then we got invited to play in Manila as a guest team to play in the premier uh, amateur league here in Manila as a guest team from Cebu. Hey, featuring Jojo Lastimosa, who just won um, a, um, an MVP and a former Ateneo player. So coming back to Manila. So there's there's some story about, about that um, tournament that we played in. So it was my first time to go back to Manila since my days in, in Ateneo. So I was maybe two, three years removed from there. So I was, I left when I was 18. And then I came back, I think, when I was 22, 21, 22. But I was a totally different player when I, when I came back. So anyway, we won third place in that tournament. But I won MVP. <laughs> I won the most valuable player there. And going up against the national team players um, uh, on that league, big time players, players who who are ready to to turn pro. So after that, national team, I got to um, I got I got uh, recruited to play in the national team for two years, and then that was it. I was I was in the pros in '88. I was '86 and '87. I was in the national team, and then '88 I turned pro. So that's a oh, short, man. long story. I mean, that, that's a fantastic journey. And I, I kind of want to pick up on something you said that, and that advice is just so amazing, right? Because I think a lot of people, they achieve success and then suddenly they change, right? They work really hard to get somewhere and then they, they get that success and then they get like an MVP like you did and it goes to the head and they change what they've been doing to get to that place in the first place. So I'm sure that's kind of some really good advice that stuck with you um, and has helped you to achieve a lot of the success that you've had. So of all the successes that you've achieved, maybe as a coach and as a player, 
what would be your proudest moment? So kind of based off that, what would be the, the proudest thing that you've accomplished? Hmm. Um, I, I've, I've had that question asked um, um, to me a lot of times. And I, I have a lot of proud moments um, in my career, you know, in the PBA, winning the Grand Slam, winning the Old Filipino. Those are really sweet. And even winning, winning the MVP when I was in the amateurs. But for me, the sweetest moment really is I have to go back. I don't know if um, I'm just being sentimental about it because um, my, my, my greatest moment or I was most proud of, I wasn't even playing. <laughs> I wasn't even playing. And I think this, this says so much about probably me, my character as a, as a player, as a team player, because when I was part of the national team in 86, we we played in the Asian Games in a, in in Seoul, Korea. So that was um, Seoul, Korea in '86. They built this massive village for in preparation for the Olympics in '88. So we were there. We were housed in that area where it's supposed to be used for the for the '88 Olympics. So that was the Asian Games in '86. I was a new player, and I was playing behind um, some vets who were gonna turn pro. Um, the following year, so it was okay. I was getting um, some minimal time, which is fine because I was trying trying to learn from from them. And we won the um, we went into the quarterfinals. We went up against um, who did we go up against? We ended up no, we we played um, one of the top teams, South uh, the South Korean teams. So it was South Korea versus the Philippines, and then it was Japan versus China. The top two teams back in the day was China, Japan, and South Korea. And it just so happened Philippines was able to barge into, into the final four. So we went up against South Korea. So if we win that game against South Korea, we would go into the medal, uh, into the gold medal game. So if you lose, you get silver. Um, we, we had a really, really good game against the home, home team. And the crowd was, you know, the gym was packed. It was, it was sold out. And um, it, we, we lost that game uh, from, I think we were up, I think we were up one point. It's, it's kind of blurry right now, but, but the thing is, I think we were, we were down one point and then we were able to steal the ball. And there was a two-on-one situation, seconds to go, and two-on-one situation, and then we missed that layup. And they were able to get the ball back, and I think they won by two or three. So that was crucial, the, uh, the blown fast break layup. So we lost, so we ended up going up against um, uh, Japan, who who had a seven seven five dude. Um, I still remember his name. His um, his name was uh, Okayama. That guy, that was imagine that was nineteen eighties, Johnny. If you see a guy over six feet, you were you will you will freak out. So we we. He were in the in the lobby of the of the hotel or apartment we were coming in, and he was right there. I'm telling you, it got dark so all of a sudden when he was in front of us. That guy was massive. So we went up against that um, Japanese team, and we ended up winning the bronze medal. Okay, nobody expected us to win anything in that basketball tournament in Asian Games, and we won that. And for me, that was one of my proudest moments. Being in the national team, you know, wearing the Philippine colors, 
because I really wanted to play for the national team. Because back in the day, you don't you don't get picked to play in the national team. You go through a tryout, a series of tryout. We started about 150 guys, all amateurs. Every day we get cut, we get we get cut, we get cut. And I think the the tryout went for about two weeks. And you have to go to the papers and look for your name. If your name isn't there, you're not coming back to uh, to the tryouts. So I I went through that. I went through that. It's a proud moment to me just to be there. So winning that bronze medal for me was still the proudest moment of my life, you know, compared to my other professional uh, accomplishments. Amazing. I mean, how, I just have interest. How did you guard that seven foot five uh, Japanese player? What was your what was the game? For? Um, of course, we were we were double teaming him. We, we our biggest guy was the six five. Okay, and we were double teaming him, and he was a seven five dude, but very very slow. So we our game plan was just to to run up and down the court, you know, hoping that he won't be able to catch up with our other bigs. And uh, they had some nice players too, but you know, um, he he was just too slow, but he was big. Um, but we were able to beat that to beat that Japanese team. Perfect. I I kind of want to um, go back to what you were saying about the this idea of reading your name in the newspaper and players getting cut. And I think obviously having such had such a successful career and had so many successes in sport, there's always the down moments and there's always the tough losses. So how do you do? You have like a routine or a, a way that you are able to put a tough loss or a disappointing performance in the past and move on to the future? Like, how do you process and move on to the next game? When, um, I, I think it's, it, it was different when I was, um, before I turned pro. And I remember one time when I was dating Butchik, um, before I turned pro, I think there was a, a really bad game that we lost. And I, I vented my, my, my anger to, to Butchik and, and uh, she remembers that. I still remember that time. I couldn't take that that loss. It was probably a really bad loss. That was before, you know, I was maybe 22 years old, 23 years old. Um, but when I turned pro, everything changed already for me. And um, I, I know that losing is really part of the of the of the game. And you know, you you will win some and lose some. And then if you lose one game, you know that you have another game to play. You know, it never stops. So you, you continue to learn and you, you continue to adapt and adjust. So the next game you have, your mind is in a better place to um, to play well. Okay. But for me, when I got to, um, you know, to an age where I was already in at the peak of my, of my career, maybe around 27, 28, 29, uh, what I do really is if I lose a game, believe it or not, I, I sleep soundly. So I have this tendency to just forget about what happened in the game. If we lose it, I would say to myself, I can't do anything about that. I'm going to just look at the video the next game, but I'm going to, I'm just going to forget about it tonight. So that's what I've been doing. It's when we win a game that I continue to replay the good plays that I did or the team did, you know, I get excited. My, 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 um, my, my juice is still flowing, you know, in the game. And, and sometimes I end up not sleeping you know, I was in bed just lying down, and before I know it, the sun is up. Um, so I was like that. Uh, losing, I, I sleep right away. I forget about it. But winning, I I, I replay. My my mind still still working. Totally opposite um opposite um mindset for me. 
Oh, very interesting. That's yeah, that was not something that I was expecting to hear, but that's an interesting, uh, interesting point that you've made. We will be back after this short break. All right, welcome back to the show. What was the transition like from obviously your the end of your playing career to being an assistant coach to being a manager and now I mean obviously having such a successful season as a head coach what was that transition like from from those kind of different positions when when I um when I retired I transitioned right away into, into an assistant coach and um um coaching really is for me is just teaching the guys how how to how to play well putting in them situations where they will be uh, successful. But I didn't see myself as a coach in the beginning. I wanted to to be a skills coach. I wanted just to to train players to uh, to make them better. So that was my mindset. I you know I, I I coach in a way that it's individual, you know, not not concepts, you know, that the whole team, you know, managing players and putting in your system and offense and defense. That was the farthest from my mind. So I just wanted to train players and do some skills work. And for a long time, I was I was happy about that. And and of course, being an assistant with with Tim Tim Cohn for a long time, um, I, I've learned from him um, that the defense um, that you you teach your, your players to play defense and and offense is just easy if you got skilled players. Of course, you still need to train them uh, to to. Um, to develop their skills, but at the same time, you should be able to play both ways, so offense and defense. And um, it, it wasn't it wasn't a hard hard transition for me, uh, being around guys, you know, um, knowing what to say to them because you know the coaches, you know, you should be able to to tell them what you see. And and the difference really was when you're a player, you kind of like being immersed in a situation where you don't see a lot of things because you're on the floor. But as a coach. You see a lot of things that, you know, probably as a player, you don't see it. So that's the reason why you need some coaching. And um, and then um, um, I think when when Tim left Alaska, um, one of his assistants, Joel Banal, who was also coach of, of Alaska after Tim left, who also coached Ateneo, was a good friend of mine, even um, up to this day. He told me, Jojo, uh, Jolas. You need to prepare yourself to be a coach someday. So got me thinking, oh, really? Yeah, prepare yourself to be a coach. Maybe you know, opportunity will, will you know, come your way and you're ready. So beginning that time, I started to think about, yeah, maybe I was, you know, I I, I was really looking for for a team that I can coach, but you know, um, I, I waited a long time before I really got to coach a team that I can say that I recruited these guys, you know. Um, but it never came my way. Um, the first time I coached, I, I've coached teams from on, um, the the closest thing that you can say that I coach a team is when Tim Cohen would would be so pissed at, at his players that he refused to coach them already. He gets so pissed off and then he would just give the board to me and said, why don't you coach this team? So that was the closest thing for me to, to coach a team. And then, I, although I handled a, a um, um, the MPBL, the, the other league, um, that's um, another league, um, kind of like below below the PBA, um, 
I, I coached it for one year. That one I, I totally enjoyed. Uh, I recruited the players, but I was only able to, to coach it for one year. Then I, I quit. Um, and then the next thing that you can say that I coached is when I was with NLEX, when coaching went to the national team for for about um, a week or to 10 days. So I was able to coach about five games. And yeah, and that's it. But, you know, when you say you wanted to coach a team, it should be like, you should be able to to recruit the players that you want, you know, put in your own system, blah, blah, blah. But this one, I, I was just a stand-in. In the same way that I was a stand-in when when Chot went to Gilas and then management wanted me to coach. And it was a situation where, hey, you know, I'm I'm here. You know, I have a bit of experience how to handle players myself. But um, totally unexpected and, and different because... I was still trying to build my relationship with the players, because for me, one thing, one one thing that you need to do when you want to be successful as a coach is you should be able to build that relationship. I was familiar with some players in in TNT, but I wasn't familiar yet. You know, I still don't know them personally, like Kelly, Ryan, um, Jason, Mikey, those guys. So I'm I'm not so familiar with them um, personally. So. That, that's why it it was amazing what 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 happened to us you know winning that uh, governor's cup um, recently um, you know things happen for a reason. Yeah, I like it, and I think that's one thing that like looking at you, that's one thing where you know obviously we go to to come and watch a lot of games. So yeah, thanks for the uh, thanks for the tickets. But um, watching you coach, I think you have a really good relationship with the players. Like I think it's noticeable that your the relationship that you have with the TNT Tropengiga is is really incredible and it, and I think the players really do look up to you as like a role model right so that's something that, that I did notice um watching watching game 7 and this is something that I've always wanted to know and I've always wanted to to find out more watching watching game 7 of the the kind of the finals of the the PBA when you were coaching you always seem so game 6 we only uh, went to game, game 6 I forgot about <laughs> that sorry about that um I, I, you always just seem so composed like you always seem very you know, there's almost like a lot of chaos going on around and you're very composed. How do you remain so calm in, in, in the big moments? Like, how do you, how do you stay so calm? Um, I just want, I just want to project that I'm, I was calm, but um, deep inside sometimes I, I, I kind of like worry a little bit, but you know what? I always tell myself, um, I always tell myself like, you know, Coaching really is, it, it really happens before the game. You know, you prepare the guys, you know, put in everything, the scouting, and then what your plans are, offense and defense. And then once it is, once the game starts, there's really nothing much you can do how the players are playing on the floor right now. You can only do something about them when you call a timeout and tell them exactly what you're seeing on the floor. But other than that, you know, I don't shoot the ball. I don't rebound. I don't play defense. They do. And I've been in that situation where, you know, even if we scream and howl there at the sideline, the players don't see you. You know, like for me, if they're screaming and howling over there when I'm playing, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm locked in. So I won't be able to hear you. So I'll just let them be. You know, I sometimes react to bad calls, things like that. But other than that, when the guys are playing, I'll just let them be. Because I know that once they, the game starts, they're not going to listen they're gonna tune out. They tune out the noise from from the crowd, the booze, 
and maybe they also tune out the, you know, what the, what the coaches were howling and um, on the sideline. If maybe if I call an attention that I see something, then maybe you can point a finger, get get their attention, and and maybe there's a lot a little bit, then you can talk to them. But once the game starts, there's nothing much I can do. That's why the reason why I'm just standing there. Sometimes I just sit down. You know, there's nothing else you can do. Let them play. So um, it's not that I'm I'm really calm, but I try to be. I try to project that um, that um, persona that that I'm not panicking with them. You know, because once the player sees that you're you're panicking or you don't know what you're doing, they're gonna pick up on that. So sometimes also, like you have to be humble in a way that, as a coach, for me, I don't know any, I don't know everything. You know, you have to you have to admit that to to the players that you don't know everything, and I allow the players to to also coach and have their time to to coach each other because they see and they know what's happening inside when you know. Um, the players, they have that connection. And sometimes they need to discuss that when they're sitting down. And I allow them to do that. And even for me, when I was playing, I the coaches would um, would allow us to, to talk to each other. That, hey, let's do this. Why don't we switch on this on this situation? If 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 we can, if um there's a situation where we need to um to to switch, then you know, things like that, you communicate with them. But um if they have some questions that you don't think you can't answer <laughs> you just said no, I, I have no idea i don't know so what do you think so you can't be a smart ass all the time to sorry you can't always be a smart aleck all the time to your players because they'll pick pick up on it and they know that you're uh, very insincere and that you know you just you know um just trying to to project yourself as somebody else that you're not so you can't do that you have to be transparent to your players I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think that's awesome that you, it's almost like you're giving the, the trust of the players to like giving them the trust and the confidence in the players to once you've coached them and trained them up that they're kind of ready to go, right? Um, yep. Do you have any pre-game routines that you do with your team to help them optimize their mindset before they play? Like, do you have any meditation or, or visualization or anything that helps them to get into the zone before they go out on the court? When I was playing, Tim Cohen, we had that... Um, we we um we played um really good basketball in, in the nineties and and in Alaska before Tim patterned our offense um to to the Chicago Bulls and they were running the triangle and Phil Jackson was the coach. And so we had we ran the same offensive system and Tim was a big fan of Phil Jackson. So Phil Jackson is is huge um in terms of of um, self-awareness, you know, mindfulness, things like that, meditation, you know, the 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 Indian stuff. But we we didn't we didn't do that with with Alaska. On, the only thing did was he allowed us to have a a um, a one minute a quiet time before the before he starts huddle and lights out, is to focus in and lock in and, and and just to think about the game, the things we need to do. And I kind of adapted that um, um, last season when when we won. But for me, that's just very subtle. With uh, Coach Chot, he is into uh, breathing exercises. Um, just you know, some really really good. Um, uh, um, what do you call it? Um, 
uh, um, it's, it's just just mindfulness stuff. Um, you know, breathing, uh, controlling your breathing. You know, deep. You know, some short. So short is into that. He he does that, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So I said, hmm, um, I'm I'm just gonna do the the stuff that we we did with with Alaska before, which is uh, lights out, as in black, totally black, one minute, and sometimes I would allow one of the players to talk about what we need to think about when during the blackout. Like sometimes Ronde would talk. Sometimes Kelly would talk, and I would talk sometimes. But um, I think what game was that? Um, okay, let's let's do a lights out, um, lights out, and then Ronda, you want to say something? I said. He said, "Let's just lock in. <laughs> let's just lock in." So that was it. I mean, that was good enough for me. So that's just the routine that I I kind of. Um, used um, in this conference and I'm going to continue to use it just you know to calm everybody down and I think the players appreciate that that you know it's chaotic in the finals you know a lot of things going on they want your your attention things like that and it's really nice to sometimes just sit down relax and just um, just center your mind on, on the things that you need to do perfect so based on everything we've talked about and it's been fascinating all of the all of the insights to coaching and playing and and the mindset and everything that you've kind of discovered what would be your definition of having an optimal mindset what does having an optimal mindset mean to you all right i thought about that um so i make sure that i I say the right things if i this is my, my my definition that i wrote um about optimal mindset just thinking about what does optimal mean and then uh, and then, and then the mindset. So, I think um, the the one that I thought about is um, my definition is the ability to use all your God given talents and resources to achieve your goals. It's um, so that's just it. I mean, like I don't know how to explain that, but you know, you you have your God given talent, and that um, so you have your your talents, you have your resources, and then to to achieve your goals. It just means to say that you can't you can't take anything for granted. If you want to be um, optimal in what you do, your mind you cannot forget anything. You have to to tap everything into your into yourself um, to get into that um, to get into that kind of situation where you can perform uh, at the best of your ability. I don't know if that, that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> I love it. Short, short and sweet. I like it. Um, do you have any game-changing or transformational books that shifted your perception as maybe a coach or as an athlete? What would be your kind of top books that you've read? I have a I have a fascination for leadership books, um, specifically by by John Maxwell. Um, leadership books um, about um, things things that you have to learn how to be a leader about servant servant leadership things like that so i'm 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 all for that and um so for me that's just for me being a coach now i think it it it's it it applies um as well not only when when i was playing um but but more so in in coaching that if you want to be a leader sometimes you need to to serve them you cannot be a leader if you just stand back and and just delegate everything and not be 
um, the first guy to do to do stuff. So I'm more like a leader that um, I want to I want to do it for you and I want to show you. And then if you do that, then then okay, let's let, let's do it together. But I can't just be standing there and say, hey, I'm a leader of this group, and then I'm the first one who just sits back and not do do anything. So for me, uh, that's not being a leader. Um, a leader should be able to to exhibit yourself as as the first guy to to do the dirty work. For me, that, that that helped me so much. Um, I still have those books, and sometimes I brush through them, you know, just to remind myself about about the, the principles. Principles of leadership, nice. So they almost, yeah, like you are leading by example. Like you are leading by example, right? Right. Um, ex- excellent. Okay, last question. Um, so for people that are listening, if you could give maybe three app actionable steps for them to maybe develop a more optimal mindset or to maybe improve their performance, what would be three things that someone could do? Um, I, I listed three of them because you asked you asked three, so I'm yep. going to give you three. Perfect. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I, like I, it. I hope this this helps. Um, first one is preparation. Okay, to have that optimal mindset, um, I think you need to be prepared in in whatever circumstance. You, um, basically, we're we're in sports right now, and even if if you're working in a company and you know if you're leading a a bunch of other guys, you still need to to prepare. So preparation is really key. Um, if you enter a competition, you should be physically and and mentally ready, and um, because if you don't prepare yourself. Um, you cannot you cannot go go out there and be surprised by by the by the amount by the by the by the competition. Right? You you gonna you can you're gonna be overwhelmed. So you cannot do that. So you have to expect um, the best from your opponent, and that that's why you need to be physically ready. You cannot be out there and you're not totally committed to what you're doing. So that's that's a killer. Okay. The second one is um, be coachable. Okay. Um, have an open mindset, and and it's really important to listen to your coaches. And and um, if you have a mentor, so you can you can probably listen to to your mentor and and, and have some probably guys with with um, um, with wisdom and, um, and 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 talk to them. Like for me, I have a mentor. My pastor is my mentor right now. So every time I have a a difficult decision to make, I I, I ask him. So what should I do? Things like that. So in the game also. Um, if you're a young player, it cannot be you cannot go into a game where you say to yourself, "I already know everything." You know, you never stop learning. Okay, uh, from from beginning up to the end, even if you're older, you sh- you still need to learn some stuff. I I'm still learning right now at an age of 59, and um, so if you want to have an optimal mindset, you should be able to to tap into the to the ideas of the other guys around you, and maybe. You can um, you can um, kind of filter the bad ideas, okay, and just take the good ones. But you have to you have to be coachable. You have to learn from from the guys around you. And number three, I think this is also the reason why you know you you mentioned about the fourth quarter man, okay? Like I never coined that. Somebody just gave that um, that moniker to me that. Um, maybe he has seen me a lot of times make some some crucial shots, and it came from the mindset of my number three point, 
of having an optimal mindset is that you cannot be afraid to fail. Okay, you cannot be afraid to fail. You know, um, especially in, in sports, you have to make a, a decision um basing on 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 whether um you cannot be going out there and make a decision and and and, and thinking like hey I might miss this shot. You know, I, I'm not gonna do it anymore. So but you have to do it. Okay, you have to do it and you have to accept the fact that this might not go in. But still you have to try. If you don't try, you don't know what's gonna happen, right? I mean, like you don't know if it's gonna go in or it's 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 not. So if you're not afraid afraid to fail, um, then you you are going to 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 own your mistakes and then you learn from your mistakes. And sportsly that sometimes it's really brutal. And for the guys who can't take the can't take the the blame, usually they're the ones that really crumble. But you have to learn from your mistakes, and so that when you do it again, um, there's a possibility that, that you will be successful. But if you don't, if you um, if you continue to do stuff that didn't um, that weren't successful, and you do it again, and by not learning anything from it, from it, and then it, it's going to be it's foolish. Okay, so for me, it's just don't don't be afraid to fail. If you have to take your chance. Amazing. Yeah, I feel like there's so many people that could just listen to those three points and could just take so much away from those, right? Athletes, people in everyday life, right? And I think those those three optimal optimizing points you gave at the end were, were awesome. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, how can people, if they wanted to find out more about you, how could they, where could they find you? What what would be the best way if they wanted to find out more about you and your... They can't find me. I don't have any Facebook Okay. And my my Instagram is inactive. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know where they can they can look me up in the games and they can talk to me. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jolas, for joining us. You've been uh, an awesome guest. A pleasure. You kind of covered a lot of ground, and um, yeah, just thanks for giving up the time and spending the time sharing about your uh, your amazing journey. So, thank you. You're welcome. See you again. See you again, John. Perfect. All right. This has been the Optimal Mindset. And a uh, huge thank you to our guest, Jojo Lestimosa, for, for sharing his thoughts. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you again soon um, in the next episode. So take care, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the Optimal Mindset podcast today. We are available on SoundCloud and on Spotify. I've included all my information in the show notes for those who wish to find out more about our our guests and upcoming episodes. Remember, train your mind, optimize your life.